0: Hello there, welcome to Mr Apex iRacing podcast. I'm your host Richard Spanners. Ready? We're going to be looking at iRacing from a hobbyist point of view, making you wiser, happier, and faster. This is Mr Apex. I'm joined by an expert iRacer and real world racer, Bradley Philpot. Hey Brad, good afternoon Spanners. Thanks for joining me again. I watched your stream. Uh, in fact, we watched it all as a family. We sat around the big TV and we put your YouTube stream on the big family telly.
1: I felt extra pressure because I knew that was happening.
0: Yeah, and then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, do, do you swear on your streams? And, and it's only that you've got a crew chief that says the odd swear.
1: Yes, that's right. I, I'm quite clean with my language most of the time, um, apart from mild swears. But yeah, the crew chief has the explicit function turned on and I can't be re- <laughs> held responsible for my teammates who are obviously also on there
0: um, for the team radio um but we did it we did enjoy it even mrs spanner's was impressed with the quality um it was quite good when your teammate was driving because you could put it into context and explain what was happening you know over the course of a, a 3 hour race
1: yes that's right and and it's quite good because i can choose to either talk to um to my live stream mm. or my teammate or both so there are times when i can talk about them and things they might have done like maybe crash early <laughs> on in the race um and yeah. i don't actually offend them by by them hearing that so or quite put them system. or put
0: them off or in like you're not sitting there trolling them going oh for god's sake although i did notice there was a slight irritation that you had not yet got in the car and that a crash had occurred because you were kept going oh look at the pace we've got we're top three pace but we're stuck here at the back because yeah. of that crash
1: <laughs> yeah that happens too frequently uh, in my recent experience where my my sim teammate has an accident but I'm sure it's just a run of bad luck. I've got another race coming up tonight where it's a, a joint sim driver and real-world driver setup, up, um, and I get to go first today. So uh, hopefully brilliant. I won't do the same, and I'll have a nice clean stint.
0: So um, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm bringing our friends, Carl Power and Matt Trumpets and, uh, and one other um, yet to be named, and we're going to talk about uh, Headspace uh, because we're all a bit hot-headed, and if we get taken out by someone else, and it's not our fault – we tend to kind of go on tilt and be like, wow, this is stupid. I'm never doing this series anymore. Everyone in F3 is a complete git and I hate them. Uh, But you can't quite be like that in an endurance team. And you've got real life experience with endurance team racing as well. It's a very different kind of mentality. You have to be just, I guess, a little bit more forgiving, but you must feel just a bit peeved when your teammate bins it.
1: Yeah, it is a very, very different dynamic. And it's an extremely similar dynamic to how it is in real life. Um, so you are you really are there trying to do a job for your team and you've got this responsibility not to break the car in exactly the same way as you have in real life these people have all prepared for it in these races where people take it very seriously and we've got Daytona 24 hours coming up this weekend for example I know for a fact my team have been putting in hundreds of hours of practice laps and if you go out and wreck the race because you've been a bit hasty overtaking a back marker and you've clipped them and you've got some, you can get permanent damage. You know, it's not like some of these races where you have a fast repair. If you if you break the car, if you do some floor damage over a curb and you've agreed before the race to be careful on the curbs, you're going to be in the doghouse for the next 23 hours and 30 minutes or whatever. So yeah, it's, uh, it's like real life in that respect.
0: So I've been coming under a little bit of like gentle pressure from our Missed Apex panel and some of the Slack community that do sim racing, you know, saying, why won't I do the Daytona 24 hour that's coming up? Well, on this particular occasion, it clashes with Miss Apex round five, not the events themselves, but the practice time. And I really feel like, you know, I can't dedicate the practice time to that discipline because I'll get yelled at by my wife. So I need to practice for the map series. Um, But it's that whole pressure of letting your, your team down. And someone said to me, well, just drive slow as in don't break it because that pit stop costs way more than the odd tenth you get from like riding a curb and really smashing out the the fastest laps.
1: Yeah, um, that, that is the case. And and your point about practice is, is really apt. I feel exactly the same way. I try hard not to split myself between too many different series. Uh, and that's exactly why I'm not going to do the map race this weekend, because I want to be as prepared as possible for Daytona. And, you know, even the race I have this evening, which is Formula 3s at probably Snetterton. I think the public vote is is leaning towards Snetterton. Um, I'm a little bit worried because my endurance team are testing tonight, for example. So I'm missing out on that time. I, I generally dedicate a whole week to a big event like that. And so, for example, last week um, I had the, the Nürburgring race, the DNLS, and I, I practiced a week every evening. That's the track I was at. I wasn't doing any official races or any other series. I was just focusing to do the best possible job in that special event. And that's really, that's the thing I enjoy most in iRacing is those special events.
0: So for anyone new listening, uh, Brad Philpot is a very top level, a real life racer and sim racer. You're something like top 30 in the UK on iRating?
1: Yeah, around that. Probably 35 now, because it's been can a few weeks you, since can you I've, I've done... just get into
0: the top 25 so I can say top 25 in the UK iRated Brad Philpot. I'm not in that same zone, okay? I am a, a middle-aged presenter, Dad of two. Uh, so m- my ambitions are somewhat different to Brad's. But if it is a single seat, single person event like the Miss Apex event or an F3 official, I am happy to just jump in and have a go. And I'm happy to go, right, th- this is what I do. Like if I'm jumping into, say, uh, when I jumped into F3 for the first time, I'm happy to be like really polite and just wave people by and use the race as my practice and lose a bit of rate rating. I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. It's just that team element where people are going to yell at you um, for for letting them down. And also just a nightmare to try and organize stints in a 24 hour race. Like, how do you even set about doing that rotor? It's like a guard shift or something.
1: Yeah. So the way I set about doing that is I don't get involved in it whatsoever. I just do the driving and I let my really professional teams (laughs) deal with the stints the strategy, the fuel calculation, all that kind of thing, pretty much in the same way as I would in real life. I don't tend to get involved in any of that side of things outside of a cart event where, where you tend to be the, um, the engineer and the yep. driver and the strategy person. So for these, these SIM special events, I leave it to the team. And that's why I'm with those teams because they really know what they're doing. So I've seen the spreadsheets they use to calculate stint lengths and, uh, and all that kind of thing. And they have so many contingencies built into the strategy is, it's really quite a sight to see. And I'm very happy to be with teams like that that know what they're doing.
0: So I've never entered any kind of team event. Um, just tell me, how does it physically work in iRacing? Like, is it is there some kind of rule where everybody has to do a certain amount of laps? Or is there a minimum stint length? And I guess the thing that really would confuse me and scare me is... like. How does the changeover work? Like if I'm late, is the car just sitting there, you know, or does someone have to like phone you and go, mate, I'm pulling into the pits now. Make sure you're ready.
1: So the way it works is um, a little bit specific to each event. Uh, They're they're not always exactly the same. And I actually don't know what the minimum driving time is for, say, Daytona this weekend. For the Nürburgring race I did last weekend, uh, that was a 45 minute minimum for each driver. Um, and, you know, it's a, that was a three hour race. So and there were only two drivers. So quite easy to achieve that. Um, but for these endurance official iRacing endurance races, there will be some kind of automatic minimum built in. I'm sure in terms of changing driver, it's actually very simple. You sign up to the event as part of a team. So um, in within iRacing, you can set up teams and you can invite drivers into them. Ah, You'll get a little okay. notification inviting you into that specific team. And then when you click, join for the race when you sign up to that specific race on the day however long before the event actually begins instead of it just loading as it would normally and you click join it will give you like a little drop down box of teams and if you've only got one team Ah, signed up for you just click that one Um, but you can't you can't join as an individual you have to join with a team that you're part of and if you don't have a team you can obviously make your own one um so it'll ask you to do that and then that will also give you specific Mm. team liveries you know, driver suits, all that kind of thing, if you've set that up beforehand. In oh. terms of just change, changing into the car, um, just to touch on that, as you mentioned, mm. um, when your teammate is in the pits, there's a little button that comes up that says remove driver. So it's very simple. You you kind of just click your way into the car.
0: Okay. All right. So if someone else had organized a team, all I would have to do is accept the invite, select the team from the drop down, and I get all the team colors and everything that's sorted out. So you you wouldn't? Yeah, ever like, say if you join like a Halo 3 server, you just get randomly put in a team. I'm assuming you, that wouldn't work for iRacing Endurance.
1: No, I do believe there is a there is a setting that um, it says anyone can join teams, something like that. But I think it's quite unusual. I, mm. I think you do generally have to be part of a pre-arranged team that, that you are a member of. And the way these special events work now, they've tried to make it a bit fairer by... Um, putting you in a split based on the average I rating of your team. And I believe all those drivers have to enter. There were some little loopholes in the past where you could get, um, it was based on the highest rated driver in your team. So you could get a Mm. real ringer with a massive high I rating to sign up for you, get all the other drivers in afterwards. And then that high rated guy could drop out just before the session started. And you're kind of in the top split at that point or in the higher split. Nowadays, you have to, it's taken the average of the team, which seems to make a lot more sense to me.
0: Oh, no. So I really, even if I was just guesting in a team, see, my thought was maybe I could just come in and do like a half hour stint just to show my face, you know, show my face at the party and and be able to tweet it and say, oh, yeah, I took part in the thing. Uh, But then I don't want to drag everyone's split down with my, I think I'm on 1800 at the moment, I rating.
1: I mean it, that depends on whether they care because a lot of people will just go in whichever race they happen to be put in. I, I want to be in the hardest possible race. For me I, I want to be in the top split. Very, I very I'm very unlikely to be for Daytona purely because me and the rest of the team just haven't got high enough i ratings for this particular event. Mm. Um, I think we're going to probably average out at about 5000 and it's around 7000 i rating you need generally to get in the top split wow. of uh, of some of these races. That's so I work hard.
0: That's eye-watering, because you think um, for the Formula Renault 2.0, for example, um, an eye-rating of seventeen eighteen hundred 1,800 is enough for the top splits generally. And then I'm finding with F3, you want to be, except for the really quiet times, you want to be kind of like 2,500. So like Daytona, I guess, is that a, a much higher profile event within racing? Certainly everyone I know in the sim community is talking about this event.
1: Yes. All of these special endurance events like Daytona, like Nürburgring 24 hours and like Le Mans in particular, all these big 24 hour races and some of the, some of the kind of six hour races, they are very popular. So rather than having two or maybe three splits, like we'd have in the Formula Renaults or or maybe four or five in the Formula Three, we're talking more like 30 splits. Oh, right. It means that the, the really good high rated drivers will be distilled towards the top, provided that they've got teams which which help that average step you could have a driver with an extremely high i rating um, Mm. in a team where the average is low if all the teammates are are quite low rated but generally people will be roughly in the correct
0: split okay well today i want to talk to you um, a bit about a brake bias and tire wear within f1 but since we're talking about i rating and safety rating i think we can skip actually to the listener question it would slot organically better into what we're talking about at the moment um but firstly since we're talking about endurance and I'm I'm kind of enduro curious because people have been uh, nagging me to be honest but I've been I've been really focusing on the single seaters and when I first started I really focused on the MX5 because I didn't have any money so I really wanted to like master that and I and I feel like when we moved to the single seaters that was a big change and I've not mastered it by any means but I feel like confident and comfortable in it what am I going to feel going into the endurance? Like, firstly, like, what cars were you driving at the DLNS and what cars are driving at the, this Daytona 24 event?
1: Okay, so that, first of all, I also love doing the single-seaters in iRacing because I think in particular, in uh, VR, it really feels like you're in the cockpit of a race car and you can see so much stuff around you. Yes, amazing. You? you can see the front wheels yeah. and you can place the car easily. Yeah. And it's very responsive because it's a very lightweight single-seater with lots of grip. So I I am in a similar boat to you in that respect. I I really enjoy those. Yeah, we're the same.
0: (laughs) We're the same for me, basically.
1: In the endurances, you're going to be in, obviously, endurance-style cars, which tend to be GT cars, GT3 or GTE. So I was racing in a GT3 Mercedes in the DNLS race last weekend. Um, It's not typically the kind of car that I drive on iRacing, um, but it's the kind of car I aspire to race in real life. Um, But in iRacing, they do feel heavy and sluggish and like they've got a a lot of momentum compared to a Formula Renault or a Formula three car. So that's something to wrap your head around to begin with. There's also LMP twos and LMP ones, depending on which race we're talking about LMP two for Daytona coming up. That's the the top class, a bit more like a single seater, but obviously with a closed cockpit and traction control. So there's another little dynamic there. It will be heavier because you've got endurance levels of fuel Obviously, it's just a heavier car as well. Being an endurance car it needs to be built to last full 24 hours. Um, and the traction control is a little bit odd to get your head around at first because you can lose time if you're, if you're in the traction control too much. and It's kind of cutting the power for you. So oh, those are the different right. types of cars you'd be doing in endurance.
0: Oh, I see. So the, the traction control, yes, it's an aid, but the more you lean on it, the more it's actually holding you back. It's just stopping you from just planting the throttle and binning it.
1: Yes. If you use it correctly, it's good. It just kind of takes the edge off of where you might have wheel spin and damaged tyres over a stint. And we're looking to potentially uh, triple stint these tyres mm. um, at Daytona. So you really have to make them last. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go a bit too far and you lean on it and you get sideways and the traction drill has to cut in, then you suddenly lose a lot of time on the next straight.
0: So I'm, you know, I, I'm a kind of corporate driver, uh, corporate pace, military medium do you think that the endurance setting might suit me a bit better? You know my driving style. I'm not overly aggressive. I just like surviving.
1: Yeah, I, I actually really do. And I know you haven't really dabbled in this too much yet. I would encourage you to. Okay. I would say probably GT3, because they're popular. It's a popular class. There's lots of different cars to choose from as well. It's not single car. You've got things like the new BMW M3, uh, GT3 car, you've got the Mercedes AMG. Um, uh, there's all sorts of different and, and then in GTE yeah. as well, there's there's others. Um, GT3, I'd recommend though, because you have traction control, you have ABS. So although you've got a heavier car to contend with, and it will probably take you a while to get used to having to brake so much earlier and carry lower apex speeds. Mm. But once you're used to that, it will be, I think, relatively easy for you to lap consistently and enjoy the race you know, just doing going through the process without the danger of snatching a wheel and, and going off or spinning because you get on the power too hard or something. The the car will help you out with that, that side of things.
0: I wonder if people are generally a bit more conservative because it's a longer race or is that wishful thinking?
1: I think it depends on <laughs> the race and mm. it depends on the class. Um, it's certainly something I'm going to be watching out for at Daytona this weekend because parts of the track are very narrow. It's not really wide enough to be easily passing lots of traffic in the infield without... Um, risking contact and like a lot of endurance races nowadays these tend to be 24-hour sprint races you've probably heard that lots of times yeah. to describe 24-hour races it will be hairy but there is also an element of you know if you want to make the end you do need to make the car last and not end up with a load of damage so you'd hope people would look at it that way a bit more
0: okay i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna jump in as a spotter on some of the the races uh, maybe even yours with your permission. And uh, practice a bit of my streaming, uh, maybe with uh, some of the missed Apex teams that are running in Daytona 24 as well, um, just to just to see if I can pique my curiosity a bit more before actually jumping in. Uh, let's go to uh, John Lang's question then, because it was relevant to what we were talking about. Um, if you want to ask us a question, SpannersReady at gmail.com, or you can contact either me or Brad on Twitter. I'm at SpannersReady and Brad is at Bradley Philpot. And uh, do you have your DMs open? I've got my DMs wide open. People can slide yes. on in there. Yep, yeah, I do. Yeah, so that's a good way to just ask us a question uh, and we'll we'll bring it to the show uh, when we record. Generally on a Wednesday and not live streaming at the moment, somebody asked, um, oh, where's the YouTube version? I am starting to record these. I just haven't fully committed to doing like a full uh, youtube production yet. Tell you what, the more people that listen and subscribe um, and share it around and tell people about it, the more uh, we're likely to invest into it. So if you are in a sim racing forum, uh, go ahead and share the link that I'll put in the show notes of, on your podcast player. There'll be a, a show notes section. There'll be a link. Go and share that in forums and say, "Miss Apex are doing a, an iRacing podcast. All right. John Lang, his question is, should I focus on eye rating, safety rating, or any at all? This is very different for you and for me. We'll try and approach it uh, for both. Some people really game the eye rating, And I can tell, like, Matt Trumpets, all he's thinking about is his eye rating when he gets crashed out, the first thing he thinks is, ah, oh, that's a bunch of I rating gone. I barely consider it at all. However, I think it's a really good system and I find if I'm not doing well in a series, I don't get upset about losing I rating, because I just think, well, it's going to put me in a split where I that suits my ability. And generally I think I have splits where it suits my ability. The one time that didn't happen is in the MX5s, where it was so crashy at the time that we were racing in it that I just got good at avoiding the crashes, and I became a specialist crash avoider. My I rating went up to about 1800, 2000. So I would always be in like the top one or two splits with people who were lightning fast. Um, So it became pointless for me doing the MX fives anymore, I would have had to have tanked my I rating to match my ability. But in uh, Formula Renault 2.0, and Formula three, I find that when I have lost I rating, it's been correct. Um, and so I'm I'm a fan of the I rating system. First of all,
1: yeah. So I actually think this is a really easy question to answer. Should you focus on I rating or safety rating at all? It basically just depends on whether or not you care about it. <laughs> now, <laughs> safety rating does allow you into different um, series, so you do need particular um, particular. A or B license or C license to make it into certain categories. I actually don't know what they are because I don't really pay much attention to it um, being a 4.99 a license driver. Um, But it it matters if you want people to think that you're safe Mm. and it matters if you want to do those particular series where you need a, a high license, but but that's that's the only reason, really. I-rating is a little different. Again, if you care about being in the highest possible split, for me, I want to be in the Le Mans 24 hours, like the I-racing Le Mans 24 hours, which is split one. I mm-hmm. want to be in the one which is broadcast by race Spot, the TV guys. I want to be in that race with a chance to win. Even if we were the slowest team in, in a particular class, I want to be in there because mm-hmm. you need to be in it in order to have a chance to win it. I don't want to have to send the link to my, my family yeah. or anyone who wants to watch it and go, oh no, don't, don't watch the official stream because I'm not in that one. I'm in split three or whatever. I want to be in the main one. And that's kind of my aim to enjoy these big ticket endurance races in the main event. So for me, I do need the highest possible I rating in order to achieve that. So I see all my official races as a kind of a, a process I'm going through to just build that I rating. And, and just like you mentioned with Matt, if something goes wrong, and, and it's much worse for me because if something goes wrong for me with a much higher I rating, I lose mm. a lot more. And it takes, I, I had um, an incident a couple of weeks ago where I had a, something break on my pod, which meant I had to quit the race. I couldn't drive anymore. And I lost nearly 200 I rating. And that was like a week and a half it took me to get back to where I was before, <laughs> racing multiple times per day and mm. finishing every single race in the top two. So yes. So the short answer is, and I'll Oh, goodness. It depends. So um, if you care about those things, <laughs> yeah. then yes, focus on them. If you don't, like you mentioned, if you just want to be put into the appropriate split for your your current ability, just do your best and you'll yeah. just end up there.
0: Yeah. So obviously I'm trying to improve my ability. And by the way, like even the first two episodes talking to you, working on my braking and my exits and understeers, I, I've taken nearly a second off of my F three lap time at Barcelona, just in that in that week, focusing in on that. Um, so I've been enjoying my splits a lot more. Uh, but in F three, there is an incentive to have I rating because so many of the real world drivers we've heard of race in F three, and the incentive and the thrill. Like it sounds really sad and fanboy, but the thrill of like being in a race with Fernando Alonso, uh, Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, and those guys. Is like such a huge draw of i racing, and um, before the the accident at at, um, at, at Bahrain, um, I was in a Interlagos F three official race with Roman Grosjean, because at the time I still had a higher i rating from Formula Renault two before I lost it all being rubbish at F three. So I was in that race with Roman Grosjean, and he's in the chat before the race. You know, he's typing with people, and you just go me. When do you ever get to like do a thing with an F1 driver? And I kind of felt like I'd earned that a little bit because I'd earned the license and I'd built the I rating up to do it. Um, and then I ended up uh, spinning and having to go to the pits. And then I was fighting him off from lapping me, so I spent two laps trying to stop Roman Grosjean lapping me, which was absolutely fantastic. So that's the that's the only like equivalent I have to you of of like getting into the top event is I'd like to eventually earn being in the top splits of of F3, which feels achievable ish.
1: Yeah, and that's a real testament, isn't it, to to iRacing as a platform that drivers like the ones you've just mentioned are on on there as a regular competitor. Yeah. They're not just like having a play on a PlayStation on on a random game offline or whatever or in a in a random lobby. They're part of this whole thing in the same way as we are. They've got their own iRacing career, they're building up their own iRating. There's no shortcuts, they're just doing it as we all have to. And finding themselves, you know, they, they agreed that it's realistic enough and worthwhile getting to that point and competing and actually having a race, you know, a, a race which feels real to them. And it's, it's really cool having those guys in.
0: Yeah, no, it, it was cool. Um, uh, Jake Oliver as well, F3 and uh, sorry, Formula E. Uh, Driver, had a few races with him before I started sliding down the splits. Um, (laughs) But yes, uh, absolutely is a thrill. Uh, So to answer John's question, uh, it depends on whether you care and whether it achieves any specific goals for you. Um, Safety rating is a slightly different thing. Um, I don't want to lose my license. I'm currently not sweating about the safety rating. But actually, that's a good system as well. I mean, you really do have to have a string of awful, crashy races to to lose your license to get so low that you lose your license how much do you think about safety rating when you're driving
1: so i don't think about it at all uh, like it really doesn't cross my mind safety rating it would have done when i was starting out and i was trying to build up the different licenses but i'm a, a pretty steady 4.99 a which is like yeah. the top you can get i believe without going to world championship level which is like a separate thing entirely and and the reason is that because i've been trying to build my i rating in this very specific way basically trying to win the formula renault 2.0 races when i when i do them if you lead from the front and you're comfortable in the control of the car you know you're not going to lose control and have a, a spin and loo- or go off on the grass and lose um i um, sorry safety rating that way you generally get 0x you know zero incidents in each race so if i do have one race where I don't know, either have some contact or I I go off on the grass a couple of times and and get a few Xs. I don't really think about it because certainly my average over a season is zero X in every race. So it very quickly goes back up to 4.99. If you're mired in the midfield of a series, (laughs) which I would be if I entered some other ones, if I went into the Formula 3, for example, which I avoid deliberately because I know how risky it is and how competitive people are there, um, you very quickly knock that down a little bit but as you mentioned, you have to try quite hard to actually drop down a license level.
0: So before anyone accuses you of like just wimping out on the F3, there is a particular sweet spot in the F3, I think, where uh, it's reasonably cheap on I rating for you top level guys to get into the top splits. Uh, therefore, people, I think, are, are very unrisk averse. Like they really will risk uh, all or nothing. And they seem to go for a great result. Um, one great result. Out of four, for example, them being steady and consistent. Whereas I guess if you go into like a top series where the cutoff point for split one is 7,000, you know people have invested an awful lot of time and energy and professionalism getting to that I rating. So you're risking the same level. So, But when you come to split one, you could potentially be risking your I rating against someone like me, who's just a muggy 2,000 driver just having a go.
1: And not just that, if you're in a really high rated race, if the strength of field is, say, 7,000, um, e- even if you have a bad result, you're not going to lose right, very yeah. much I rating yeah. because it's such a high strength of field in the first place. If you enter a race with a 1,000 strength of field and you have a bad race and you've got a relatively high I rating like me, then you are going to absolutely hemorrhage I rating. So that is a danger of me when I do these Formula Renault races. That is a danger because generally the I rating is hovering around two, two and a half thousand. In the Formula Three, I think it's normally slightly higher, particularly if you do the, the right time of day. Yeah. But you also then, it's also harder to do well. So it's this balancing act. I tend to bank on trying to just be the fastest one in the field in the Formula Renaults, getting out front, having a safe race, driving away, keeping out of trouble, and just banking small I rating increases each time. You could equally go into Formula Three and have a really good race, you know, real good result, and get a bit more I rating. But from what I've seen, in the few races I've entered, where I've been very lucky to avoid other people's accidents, <laughs> um, I think there's more risk than it's worth for me yeah. at the it, moment. It's been Although con- I enjoy driving the cars,
0: yeah, it's like great. I'm, I'm racing them tonight it's in the VCO. glorious driving those cars around like the real world F1 tracks as well. We've just had Barcelona. It was amazing. We've got Zolder at the moment, which is definitely going to be carnage. That's where our swarm Missed Apex Swarm is racing tonight, should be 20 to 30 of us all descending on Zolder. Um, yeah, it's absolutely a thrill. And whilst I'm not, well, I'm currently just learning and not so invested in the racing. I don't mind the carnage a little bit. I'm getting, I've made peace with it and I'm just trying to go, right, I'm going to use this as a test of my racecraft, avoiding trouble while being fast, while being a bit more assertive as well, um, especially on lap one, trying to be a bit more assertive. Um, we'll split lap one into a into a separate podcast topic at some point. Well, I like it. The first two we focused in on specific subjects. Uh, the first two episodes. This one we've been a bit more conversational about what we've been up to. It is going to flip flop like that. This is uh, intended to be eye uh, racing chat from a uh, from a participant point of view we're not setting out for it to be a guide however we will answer your specific questions and i line up specific questions as well for example next week we're being joined by a guest youtuber as well and we're going to talk about staying out of trouble and um, trying to be consistent so that's what we're going to be talking about next week and then like i said um, i think the week after that we're going to get a few people on a panel and talk about uh, racing rage like road rage and how to overcome Um, I think the phrase is going on tilt, you know, when you get annoyed with the pinball machine and you shake it and you get the big tilt sign. uh, I think we all do that with iRacing a little bit as well. Um, So give us your feedback. SpannersReady at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the show so far and do do go and leave an iTunes review. That would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, The subject I want to ask you for the next uh, 10 minutes or so, the subject I want to ask you about is brake bias and tire wear. Okay, so I'll tell you my problem. And then that'll lead into uh, your expert opinion. So basically at Barcelona, I was getting to about lap 9, 10 of 15. And then I was finding that I was just not being able to match my lap times that I had got earlier in the race. So I was peaking, even though I was losing fuel. um, So I should be faster, right? But the front wasn't gripping. I was feeling like front limited. I couldn't get turned in. So then I had to brake earlier to get it turned in. I found people in front of me. The gap was suddenly disappearing. I was hunting someone down, but I was losing them. And I was having to spend the back end of the race worrying about the cars coming through from behind. You know, cars, we'd been in a chain, a consistent chain for the whole race. And then suddenly I'm falling back. Someone in our Slack group suggested putting the brake bias back. I don't know what that does and I don't know why I should do it, but it worked. Suddenly the front wheels were turning again and I was able to maintain my pace and be competitive towards the end. So that's all witchcraft to me, Brad. What was happening?
1: Okay, so first of all, iRacing, as with any decent sim nowadays, will be modelling the tyre wear as well as tyre temperature of the car you're driving. Different cars have different tyres, and some cars even have choices of compounds of tyre, which will act, respond differently. Um, You were experiencing maybe a combination of um, tyre wear and tyre temperature spiralling. And what you tend to find, particularly if it's the front end that the tires are dropping away in terms mm. of performance, um, then you will then also build up extra temperature because you're sliding that front end more as you get more and more understeer. So you might—I don't know exactly what's happening for you. Barcelona, you tend to get a combination
0: of those two things. Oh, okay. It felt like understeer. Um, it felt like I was—it wasn't just wasn't getting the bite in that I was yeah, getting. And there, and yeah, it, and
1: it is—it's understeer caused by tire wear at the front, and mm. um, and then as a consequence of that, the tire temperature getting too hot and then you know you just slide yeah. more and more and that's actually something in iRacing which you really have to work hard to avoid in, in a lot of cars is overheating the tires once you get into that downward spiral of, of performance getting worse so the tires slide more and then they get even hotter and then they slide even more you can find the car totally undrivable mm. um, at, at some point eventually and, anyway and, so and, and this could happen
0: going. over the course of an f3 race uh, at barcelona so i'm not imagining it that i was having this effect could well have been real
1: oh no of course yeah. ab- absolutely right. your peak Performance is generally early on. Although, with the Formula 3 cars, they Mm. do tend to take a while for the tyres to warm up. So, you sometimes see kind of slow lap times to begin with. The tyres then build up the temperature. They've got a little peak window and then they'll start to drop off as they wear and and then start to overheat.
0: So, I think this correlates with me improving my pace. Does that sound plausible? Because in previous rounds, people were talking about tyre wear and I was like, I'm not really getting any tyre wear. I have only started seeing it in the last couple of weeks since I've been trying to push and and be more on the edge
1: yes if you weren't going fast enough to wear the tires (laughs) enough that you're noticing it then then that could definitely be a thing um in the in the formula three experience i've got in iRacing which is mainly this vco pro sim thing um i know for a fact that it takes a good while for the tires to get up to temperature so generally the formula three cars have pretty good tire wear you know they don't Mm. tend to drop off that much but barcelona where you were is a bit of a tire killer. So that might have exacerbated it. Yeah, that's good though. Um, I did a practice session yesterday at Snetterton where I did around about 20 laps or so in a row. And all that happened was the car got quicker and quicker and quicker. So the tires weren't wearing enough to um, offset the fuel loss. So all I was getting was improvement. The Hmm. fuel was dropping away. Car was getting lighter. The tires were only wearing a little bit. And so the lap times were improving because of having less weight. But if you're at a track which is harder on those front tires, or if you're inducing understate, you, know, you, could, you could drive incorrectly and make it worse you know, if you're using too much lock or right. allowing it to scrub. So you do, have a, you do have some kind of verti to control that, then you could feel that. And another thing which will make a big difference is if you're following other cars. You mentioned the cars in front of you pulled away. Yeah. Any of these downforce-dependent cars, like a Formula 3 car or like the Formula Renault 2.0, if you're following another car for a long period, you know, multiple laps and you're at a track with fast corners, especially, you know, Barcelona turn yeah. three, there's that really long yeah. right-hander. You can just find yourself in in this position where your front tyres just wearing out quicker than theirs because you're always understeering. You're always scrubbing them more than they are. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, okay, so we see this in F1 where they... They say like, you know, once you get within, I think it's about two seconds at the moment in the modern cars, they say they feel the understeer. So the, the downforce isn't effect, as effective. It's it's like having less downforce. If you try and drive it like normal, you're inducing understeer. Like we talked about in the first show, you're having to do too much turn for, for the speed that you're going, or you're trying to turn it more than you have for downforce at that speed. So you're effectively giving yourself understeer and more tyre wear. Is that effect then in f3 so bad that if i'm not overtaking a car immediately i should sit back a certain distance
1: it certainly can be it's very situation dependent because you could theoretically follow a car around quite close to them for quite a long time if, mm. if the corners you're going through aren't that dependent on front downforce if they're slower corners tighter corners um, i've definitely found at Barcelona, There will be parts of the track where you'll be forced to drop back, not even deliberately (laughs) dropping back. You just won't be able to stick as close to the car in front. And then you'll drag back up to them on the straight, ready to have another attempt at an overtake, maybe down the main straight, something like that. But iRacing absolutely models that effect where you will be losing front end performance, for example, you'll be losing front grip if you're in a corner mm. following the hole punched in the air by the car in front, as you cross that kind of hole, if you were to pull out of the direct slipstream, with yeah. a bit more grip, as you were to cross behind them, you'll feel that you've got less grip whilst you're in that spot behind them where, where they've already punched a hole in the air. Um, you asked about brake bias and how this relates. To oh this. yeah. Sorry. I didn't yeah, yeah. really explain that. The, the reason that that brake bias adjustment rearward would have helped you in this situation is because generally, if you've got a lack of front performance, mm. front tire performance, Maybe you're locking the brakes too easily. You're not able to trail the brakes in to the corner with as much speed as you normally would because the tyre the just locks up too easily. Winding the brake bias rearward means that, obviously, you're, the rear is doing more of a percentage of the total braking, and so less of that braking effort that you're, uh, you're putting into the um, system with your pedal pressing, less of that's going to the front wheel, so they'll, they'll lock less easily. So mm-hmm. you'll find okay. it a little bit more stable. Um, ultimately, it's not the ideal way to do it if you didn't have this loss of front performance yeah but but that's just one of the things you do as as the front tires drop away oh okay you the bias
0: backwards so it's only as they drop away it's not like i should have started the race with a more rearward brake bias
1: i mean that depends if you had it correct to begin with i um, just want, had
0: the one that i lazily stole from a setup so i just
1: it was probably it was probably quite close to being um ideal but you can always test this by just braking really hard somewhere and seeing which axle locks up first. If you brake really, Hmm. really hard and the rear end locks up and it snaps around on you like a go-kart would, your bias is too far rear. So you can go a click forward and you can just keep doing that until you find the point where It's almost all four wheels locking at exactly the same time, but with a very slight bias towards the front. Because you don't want that instability of the rear snapping.
0: Okay, so look, this this was really what I wanted to ask you about today, is is how do I know I'm in the correct brake bias? So when you say slam the brake really hard, are you talking about like mid-corner? So like I get
1: Uh, on on the straight normally. So on the approach to a corner. So how do I I feel the
0: how do I feel the rear going? And how do I because I can't see the rear wheel. The front wheel, I can see when it's locked.
1: Yep. So the way you feel the rear going is because Uh, In a similar way to how you feel any oversteer, the car is rotating more than you're telling it to. So for example, if you've got the wheels pretty much dead straight on a straight and you brake really hard and the car starts to point in a different direction, Uh, that's the rear moving around. You'll feel that through the steering wheel by the steering wheel trying to be pulled out of your hands um, in the opposite direction to whichever way the car is going. So if you were to slam on the brakes and the car was to veer to the right, as a driver, the sensation you're feeling through the wheel is the steering wheel effectively trying to be pulled out of your hands to the left. Yeah. So it's like the car is trying to steer left, but actually it's turning right. So do I want and to
0: deliberately have a slight steering angle while I'm doing this just to give it the chance to do that?
1: You certainly could. But yeah. to be honest, it, if the rear locks, it's it doesn't matter. Even if you're trying to keep the wheels dead straight, it will find whatever minuscule oh, degree right, okay. of steering you might have and it will go that direction. Okay. So... Um, But yeah, if you wanted to put a a, a little bit of steering lock on whilst you try this, you could, but you'll know quite soon if the rear locks. So so, just keep winding the bias backwards until that happens.
0: So if the front locks, I will just see it because it's in front of me. Yeah, and okay, you get cool. understeer. Yeah.
1: You'll feel the steering wheel go completely light as the steering as the front wheels are no longer gripping the floor anymore as they're sliding. So ah, right, you'll feel yes, that immediately. I
0: forget this. We didn't quite capture this on the understeer. The, oh no, we did. I think we did. Yeah, the, the, the steering the it. steering going light is a is a good sign of understeer. Um, so with the brake bias, right? Let me try and get this right in my head. A higher percentage means that more of the braking force is applied to the front as opposed to the rear. Yes, on iRacing.
1: So when it says, say, 51%, that means 51% of the braking is being done at the front. Mm -hmm. So you tend to describe brake bias with respect to the front axle. But, yeah, you could say fifty-one forty-nine. So I'm trying to Um, think
0: about it in, like, bicycle brakes. You know, you would do most of your braking probably on the the front brake. Um, and, And if you... If you brake too much on the front brake without the rear, uh, it sort of stops, locks at the front and tries to throw you over the top of the bike. Um, If you do too much rear brake, the front wheel keeps spinning, uh, but it slides around and skids around um, behind you. Um, Yeah, so setting that brake bias, um, what will I notice if I do your procedure? It's just less oversteer, less understeer, um, but I don't know. It just feels like such a dark art to me that if I hadn't had this conversation, I would have just set it at 50 and never thought about it
1: you'll notice a more stable car. Yeah. It's that simple. And and your analogy of the bicycle is really good, actually, because um, it makes it quite obvious what's going on. Mm. It might be a question that some people would have at this point. Why don't you just set it to 50-50? Surely that makes sense if you want it to be the most mm. balanced possible. And the reason is because of the weight transfer, the vast majority of the braking tends to be done by the front axle, because that's where all the weight dives under braking. You know, you're, the the weight is moving forward to the front axle. So those those tires are the ones that can do the most effort during the braking phase. If you were to set it at 50-50, generally, even in a very stiff car like a single seater, which doesn't have a lot of weight transfer, generally the rear will still lock first. So you still want, generally want to be over 50% um, on the front axle until we start talking about things like hybrid recovery systems that are doing some of the braking for you and that kind of mm. thing. My the LMP2 car I'm driving at Daytona 24 Hours this weekend, I noticed my team has set the brake bias to 49% on the front. So we actually have a more Rearward bias, but we're still not getting front locking. So it's not. This isn't a kind of catch-all definition. But normally, in the vast majority of cases, you have a slightly higher percentage at the front than you do at the rear. And whichever axle locks first in your practice test, move the bias the opposite direction until you've got this lovely neutral balance where you can brake really hard and you don't get a front lock, and you don't get a rear lock, or you have to you have to try very hard to get either of them.
0: Do I need to beep out the exact percentage that you just said for the brake bias?
1: No, no, not at all.
0: <laughs> okay, sure. E- everyone
1: would have, all the different teams worth mm. their salt, would come to that extremely early on in
0: the setup building <laughs> procedure. Good. Just checking. Didn't want to get you kicked off of a team just for doing this iRacing podcast. Uh, well, that was a lot of fun. I've learned a lot as well, and um, I-, I think iRacing as a hobby... I mean, gosh, it's it's certainly up there and even beyond the golf, right? In terms of not just cost, because it is very golfish in terms of cost as well. Because you could you can spend what you want on i racing on i racing and sim racing in general. In that, it's not something where it's immediately obvious what you need to do and what you need to learn. In golf, you will benefit from going and getting lessons and golf lessons. And I used to spend days and hours when I should have been furthering the cause and profits of my company instead. I was on golf forums, you know, trying to look up swing plane paths and which clubs I should use. iRacing I really is just this kind of dark hole where you don't know what you're supposed to learn. Because in a arcade type game, it would say, someone, someone would come in and go, your tyres are getting low, or you'd have like a, just a graph where green is good, and then as your tyres go red, you'd go, well, that's bad, I'd better change my tyres. <laughs> iRacing, I would just assume... That I was just getting worse towards the end of races unless I had experts like you to ask what was going on,
1: I think that also shows how how steeped in realism the mm-hmm. whole thing is because I think real world drivers don't find anything like as much a, of a difficulty in the things you just described. The things that they have to learn as I certainly have are, are computer related things how to <laughs> how to kind of get the most out yeah. of your rig mm. in order to allow you to drive as fast as possible, but set up the setup side of things apart from some minor quirks generally reflect what you'd find in real life. Yeah. Um, and you know, and the dri- how to drive the cars again, very, very much exactly what you would do in real life. And you go through the same process in trying to learn. So I think it's certainly harder for, a a non-driver to yeah. come in and learn everything from the beginning. Oh,
0: yeah. And what we should remember is look, if we assume a certain amount of realism, so so for the sake of this argument, iRacing is pretty realistic in com- in comparison for the skills required. Um, then what I'm trying to do as a presenter is shortcut to what you have done as a lifelong driver. Uh, and, you know, that's its own skill set and its own trade. So it's, it's weird for us to sort of come in and then try and shortcut to driving a Formula 3 car, which, which I would never, you know, dream of doing. Um, so you need a, a steep learning curve to even get vaguely competent at it. Um, but yeah, it's been very enjoyable. And that's why podcasts like this exist, so that people can bury themselves deep into into all the minutiae. So if you want us to expand on any of the the points that we've covered today, at gmail.com, let me know uh, what you think and what direction you'd like us to go in. Or correct us as well we don't mind being corrected either or clarifying a point that we may have skipped over in passing that wasn't entirely correct uh, and brad tries to skip and caveat everything he says by saying it depends uh, and going down three different paths i'm not like that i'll just blurt stuff out i don't mind if you tell us we're wrong follow brad at bradley philpot on twitter follow me at spanners ready our f1 show is at mist apex f1 uh, we'll be back sometime next week Hope you're enjoying it. Leave a review on iTunes. Five stars, and then I don't care how insulting you are. You can insult my face. Just give us five stars uh, and keep listening to Missed Apex iRacing podcast. Tell your friends that we made you happier, faster, and wiser.